You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 343, Juliet and her House of Commons Panini sticker album. Hmm. And we ask Quincy Jones, is he all that? And why we won't be going to Paul Simon's gig in Hyde Park this summer. Nuh-uh. It's all coming up after George Thorogood and the Destroyers with Madison Blues.
talking about your Madison shoes. We got a thing we call the Madison Blues. Certainly a band with one of the best names of all time. Uh, Inexplicably, that track not chosen as one of the three singles from their debut album in 1977. so confusing, isn't it, how people make decisions? It's absolutely bizarre because it's clearly the the, the sort of lead track off the album. Couldn't understand it. Anyway, that's George Thorogood and the Destroyers. Great name. Uh, And a, a killer version of the Elmore James song, Madison Blues. Welcome to the podcast, from the Parish Council, it's episode 343, I'm Terence Stackham, uh, now now wait for this Jules, this is, I, I, I spent some time I'm on I'm already one. gripping the desk. Mm-hmm. And New York, London, Munich, Paris, everybody talking hey. about Juliet Harris. Hey, I love that, that's the best yet, hello everyone. <laughs> What can I add to that? Nothing at all. (laughs) Nothing at all, no. Um, Jules, I was particularly impressed when you sent me a text uh, last week telling me that you were on a train from Manchester to London. It wasn't that bit that impressed me. What did impress me? That is quite space Asia because it was Virgin. I always feel like I'm about to be blasted into space when I get on a Virgin (laughs) train and everything's so sort of clinical. Yeah, you texted me because you'd spotted, sitting about three rows along from you, the Member of Parliament for Guildford in Surrey, the Right Honourable Anne Milton. Indeed. The Minister for Apprenticeships. Uh, oh, good for her. And it struck me... <laughs> <laughs> you sound like Homer Simpson. Miss Delaware, good for her. <laughs> it, it, it came to me that perhaps only you and maybe Laura Koonsberg could be relied on <laughs> to identify just about any of the 650 MPs who sit in the House of Commons... If, 656, if you, technically, but... Is it on. indeed? OK, if, if, you, 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 if you saw them I, on the train... I haven't always been this obnoxious. It's taken some years of work, in fairness. Yeah, it's very tedious, isn't it, listeners? But we'll carry on. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I was thinking of contacting uh, Panini, the sticker Ooh. people, and suggesting they should start a new album with associated stickers featuring MPs in Parliament. Um, maybe I, a mean, po- I, I think this is brilliant, and I think there are enough people like me. There aren't that many people like me, but there's enough staffers in Parliament and interested parties around them who I think would do this. I think this is a genuine runner. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that, because I was thinking that, once again, it would only be you and Laura Koonsberg who... who would be interesting but <laughs> no you know. i know a lot of people that oh. are even nerdier than me if that is possible to imagine now of course panini have cornered the market in football mm. stickers but you've got a reason to suggest that panini's whole concept of football stickers is now flawed Yes, and actually, because well, uh, I hate to, to ruin the magic of the podcast, but we did briefly discuss the Politician's yeah. Panini album. And so I started <laughs> thinking about it, and um, we discussed it off-air, I'm sorry to, to break the bubble, but, um, <coughs> but I, I did have a think about it. And I thought that, and I think I thought that the, 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 the hardest thing about this album would be, yes, fine, at the start of the Parliament, you know, 656 tickets, fine. But usually you get a sort of, I don't know, you get about 10 by-elections average in a parliament i think so you think oh gosh well you know will they do a supplementary pages that you can put in with the people that you know or you just stick maybe that's what happens you know like show business you just stick your sticker over the top of whoever it is that is no longer mp (laughs) for that for that constituency and stick another person on top fine but that's not going to work 
given that, you know, we've had seven, we've had three general elections in the last seven years, that's not what the Panini football album will be, the, the, the politician album will be designed for. And it got me to thinking that there would be a similar problem with nowadays. It's the transfer window. How can you have a football sticker album that remains valid from, you know, the the sort of August time all the way around to May when you've got the the January transfer window? I mean, it, it, you know, you always had a risk because I was a keen football sticker collector when I was younger, although I'm going to throw a a Spaniard in the works by saying (laughs) that I collected Merlin stickers rather than Panini mm. stickers. There was a rival company awesome. in the 90s. I've still got I think I've got five or six, if my mum hasn't chucked them, I've got five or six complete books somewhere I think, including the, the 90, whichever season it was that had Swindon in it, it was the second season oh. I think, 93 to 94 because each team had a star player that had mm. two large stickers that you could stick two halves on and uh, Jan Arja Fjortoft was a uh, Swindon course, star player. Yes. It's sort of like the Ann Milton of the footballing world, only about one percent of fans. I think that was when Glenn. Was. I think Glenn Hoddle was their player yes. manager. Yes, he was. Yeah. He was in as their player manager. So mm. for Chelsea, that uh, can I? Oh no, it was for Swindon. Swindon yeah, it? yes, yeah. it was. It was that season. So, um, so obviously, it just goes to show there are, there is an audience for obscure things mm. out there. But yes, I do wonder. Be interested to know because I haven't bought football stickers for a few no. years. I'd be interested to know how they propose to deal with this. I mean, cynics amongst us might say, oh, they might produce a second album oh, in the Lord, season, which yeah. will create, you know, mayhem amongst parents and poorly earning teenagers everywhere, I should think. But it's, I don't know, it's it, it's odd, isn't it? And I thought, you know, we, we isn't it strange that football has become this kind of revolving door and politics seems to be following football in that respect, doesn't it? I mean, the idea that we could... I don't think I think it's unlikely we'll have another general election before 2022 but who knows it might happen well, you make a very good point because earlier this season a, a young Chelsea supporter would have been desperately trying to get rid of his Olivier Giroud uh, sticker <laughs> and, and now he'd be frantically trying to swap it back so, absolutely you know, yes it, indeed it's not just football stickers that uh, are considered might be concepts that are still with us but out of time because mm. when I, I thought you know well we're going to be talking about this and, and how um, the football stickers go out of, out of time by the, the winter transfer window it struck me that um, there are lots of other things in modern life that we've still got but really have no value anymore because every now and then I find I, I come home and I find a paper copy of the Yellow Pages is mm. delivered to my door. Um, admittedly, it's shrunk in size since its heyday in the eighties and nineties, but it goes straight into recycling. Who needs a Yellow Pages in in the the, the time of the internet? And, yes, I mean, although I do use Yell dot com quite a lot. Oh yeah, on, online exactly, but you don't need the paper version of it. Yeah. Um, and also, sort of linked to Yellow Pages, landlines. I felt a bit peculiar getting rid of my landline a couple of years ago. Um, but I haven't regretted it. It felt a bit strange at first, but I realised that I simply never used it. And I've reached a point now, I don't know if you're the same, but I feel mild, mildly annoyed when anyone rings me on my mobile. And I think to myself, <laughs> well, why didn't you just text me? You know, it's, 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 it's something of a turnaround from my teens when I, you know, happily spent hours um, yeah. chat, talking True. on the phone. You know? um, and finally, also out of time but still with us, is ties, neckties. Um, I only wear a a, a tie at two places now uh, when I visit Lord's Cricket Ground because I have to, and funerals. But I imagine even wearing a black tie 
to funerals is um, is less expected now. I nearly said yes, it. George, I nearly sure. said is dying out. I'm really glad oh, I didn't say that. I honk. Know. Yeah, no. I, I haven't been to a funeral for a while, fortunately. So mm. I'm not sure. Well, when you get to my age, you get you go to far more well, of them yes, than any quite, other quite, ceremony. Yes, true. It's it's funny though how tie wearing has changed in a in a generation. It it, it, it has. It would be that a man. Going off to work wearing a tie a generation ago would signify all status. You know, oh, there's a, uh, he's got a yeah. managerial role. But now CEOs and ex- entrepreneurs and executives are open collared, and it's doormen and drivers that wear old fashioned suits absolutely, and ties. Absolutely, absolutely. A colleague of mine, a male colleague of mine, mm. seldom wears ties in the office, even to see mm. clients. He's absolutely mm. youngish man. But I have to say, I did laugh once because he had the situation where he he got it into his head that he had to wear a tie to see himself somebody to see a particularly old-fashioned client and was frantically hunting in his room for a tie uh, <laughs> in our office and did sit down to meet this man in an M&M's tie, you know, the, oh, the, Lord, the, the yes. cartoon, the, 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 the sweet characters. He had a red tie with M&M's on it and he sat down and met this client. I do feel it would have been better not to have worn a tie at all in that circumstance, <laughs> I'm not sure. But anyway, I kind of admired him <laughs> going through with it. I don't think many people would have done um, and uh, you have some examples of um, also well, things yes. that have gone out of out of time. Yes, things that are out of time. Um, for example, I was going through a box of stuff in my house the other day, which I didn't actually go through when I moved two and a half years ago. And I finally, having had new carpets recently, it's been giving me some impetus, or rather it's given my family members some impetus to put boxes <laughs> of stuff in my room for it to be got sorted through and thrown <laughs> away. Um, I picked up a, 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 a floppy disk the other day. Day, like a hard disk that was three inches square, you know, one of the little blue ones with the I, metal thing on the top I that you put into a computer. They had I thought, a tiny amount of memory on them, didn't they? Absolutely. They had about, about you could keep about three Word documents on one. Yes. Yeah, I, I used to use them for my personal statement at Sixth Form College. <laughs> yeah, God knows what I'm going to do with those because they certainly <laughs> don't go into a computer, frankly. Um, I have various old game consoles which sort of work and sort of don't. I will not throw my Mega Drive out because it will turn on two times out of every 10 which is two, two is more than none so i'm still a very occasionally maybe out of time but me and a friend of mine do treat ourselves to a game of brian lara international cricket <laughs> on occasions on the sega mega drive it's very nice to go back to the non-golden years of english cricket in the mid 90s much right now in fact i think was because of a roving roving sorry revolving door selection um the golden lights of neil fairbrother and philip de Freitas, you can pick oh, to be on your team i think robin crawley's still playing and it's the the, the fag end years of Graham Gooch and David Gower, I think. I quite enjoy that. as It, it has no function in modern life at all, but I quite enjoy that as a kind of a, a ramble down slightly pointless memory lane, <laughs> because who wants to remember the, 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 the days of mid-90s English cricket? Not many people, I shouldn't think. No. <laughs> well, that's, um, funny you mentioned that, because it, it, it reminded me... Um, I had one of the very sort of pioneering uh, computer games, computer very much in the in inverted mm. commas. Um, you plugged it into the back of your television and you played this rudimentary game of tennis. Oh, it's, was it. it Pong? Yes, Pong, that's yeah. it. Where you, a, a, a kind of little dot flipped back and forth yes, across and it the was, screen. it was the first. And, and the funny thing is it goes, just goes to show how everything goes back round again because now things that are very popular that you can buy are something that you plug into your television and you can play a 100 different games on it. Oh. They're quite popular. They're also reproducing little handheld computer games like like Game Boys but not but sort of in that kind of 
retro hipster way at the moment in the same way that polaroid cameras are making a comeback so are these little uh, little things so it just goes to show i wonder what the difference is between formats that do get revived and mm. formats that don't my sympathies always lay with the inventors of the mini discs who didn't quite invent <laughs> the ipod if you see what i yes, mean yes, I, I, it was they, they got the idea right that you could have you know a, a, a load of music on one fairly small sort of thing but they didn't quite i don't know what i don't know what it was that didn't catch on in a way that iPods did. And I don't think it's just a space issue. I'm not sure, though I do, speaking of things, having a second life, I do know a lot of people, particularly people that work in the kind of radio and the audio industries, mm. that swear by them in terms of interviewing people. They say they're really good bits oh, of kit really? to interview people with. Yeah, I know lots of people that are quite keen on them for that sort of outside broadcast recordings or mobile recording type things. Obviously, you know, if you don't have a huge editing suite, then they're quite mm. a good alternative, apparently. So, just because it's not always over until it's over. But yes, I remember talking to my dad about about and saying dad you can buy this thing and you can put loads and loads and loads of songs in it like 2,000 3,000 4,000 songs and my dad just went who's going to be bothered with that it'll never catch on <laughs> um, a man who's been in the news a lot this week will be asking what's the deal with Quincy Jones um, right after Paul McCartney and Wings
And because he is very clever and keyed in, Terence very cleverly spotted mm. my uh, my little Easter egg in this. Uh, uh, I was singing this all week. That and uh, Sister Suffragette from Mary Poppins, although I didn't think we could be able to find a version of that. So I picked this instead. A hundred years of some women and most men getting the vote. A um, hundred years ago, I can't believe it, in 1918, that was um, Wings and Jet. Well, we're, we're talking about Quincy Jones next as he's given a couple of extraordinary revealing um, interviews recently. And as we've just played Paul McCartney, um, I just thought I'd mention in the interview with uh, Vulture that he gave in the last week, mm. Quincy Jones is asked, what were your first impressions of the Beatles? And this is what he says. Oh, they were the worst musicians in the world. Paul was the worst bass player I ever heard. And Ringo, don't even talk about it, uh, end of quote. Which all seems a bizarre thing to say, because even if, um, rather unlikely that it might be, even if you don't like the Beatles, I don't think many people would say anything other than Paul McCartney is one of the best, if not the absolute best bass players well, of all time. he's a terrific bass player. I, I, I know that the poor old Ringo always gets followed round by that sort of snark comment yeah. from John Lennon about not being the best drummer in the Beatles, which just goes to show how unpleasant John Lennon could be, I think. Although perhaps it was meant in jest, I'm not sure. But anyway, I do... I do rate Paul McCartney as a bass... I mean, his bass lines on stuff like Paperback Writer and Rain and things like that are great, I think. And I think you, you, you just listen to Ringo on Revolver, Sergeant Pepper, and I think... It, Absolutely, Particularly yeah. Abbey Road. Uh, and, and, you know, try and tell me he isn't the most dynamic drummer. And I mean, he pushed the boundaries out for all who, who followed him. So. Tomorrow Never Knows invented <laughs> exactly. dance music about 30 Absolutely. years before it actually happened. A perfect example. Absolutely. Anyway, Quincy Jones, he's given in interviews to Vulture and GQ and he's clearly reached a time in his life where he feels he doesn't have to be diplomatic or have any need for a kind of nervous team of public relations people Mm. who are coaching him and diluting his thoughts and views. Now there's quite some revelations in these interviews, some more insights into the rather strange world that Michael Jackson inhabited for, for, for example. I've long held Quincy Jones in high esteem for so for much of his Production work over the years, uh, of course, Michael Jackson, um, also Sinatra, Shaka yes. Khan, Donna Summer, Aretha, of course, Brothers Johnson. So only adulation from me for his production work. But I just wondered if you feel kind of like I do, that he's been given a, a free pass, um, whether because of his age or, or his work, I, I, I don't know. A free pass with some of the things he says in these interviews. He says some good stuff about glass ceilings, all well and good, and then he says, oh, God, he just, just go off a little bit. He says he had a relationship with Ivanka Trump, and given that she's been in a relationship herself with Jared Kushner since 2005, that would have put her at 23 at the oldest, when, mm. and, and he's just coming up to 85, so Ow, that seems right, a, okay. uh, yeah. In the GQ interview, he says he has 22 girlfriends yes, running at I the moment. Yes, I saw that bit. And, uh, quote, everywhere, Cape Town, Cairo, Stockholm, she's coming in next week, Shanghai, got a great girlfriend from Shanghai, Cairo, few, end of quote. So women described not by their names, but the cities in which they live, and then he goes on yeah, about... Yeah, he's going to be a man that's never been to Hastings, clearly. <laughs> then he goes goes on to say uh, about how young they are. Um, should we make allowances? I- I- isn't this all terribly degrading? He doesn't get tackled about it. 
No, and I mean, the interview is in GQ, to be fair, which I don't always find to be a particularly progressive organisation. I mean, yes, they backed Cameron for a bit, but I'm not sure how progressive that turned out to be, I'm afraid. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm a little bit like Quincy Jones reading his interviews. Um, I was at a thing last night celebrating the life of Marquis Smith and the fall. It wasn't it wasn't the wake. I understand there was a punch up at the wake, which is uh, apparently, oh, he would have been, apparently he would have enjoyed it very much, I heard various people yeah. say. But, um, but I was going to a thing which was only people playing full records and we all took our own records and we had a lovely time and I was talking to a, a nice friend of mine called Ben who goes out with a lady called Vicky who I'd known for Donkey's years who Vicky has um a very good BS detector I think mm. and I said to Ben I presume Vicky's not a fan of the fall and he said oh no absolutely not she described him once Marky Smith as being like the kind of man she said, who you'd meet in a pub, there's a pub in Hastings called the Nelson, which, how can I put this, is not the most salubrious of establishments. Mm. It's all right, it could be worse, it could be the clown, but um, but it, it, it's, <laughs> yes, feel free to come and do a tour, by the way. <laughs> yes. um, but, um, yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it, it's very set in its way, shall we say. And she's, 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 Marky's was like the kind of guy in the Nelson who comes up to you and starts talking to you, and for the first 15 minutes you think, oh, yeah, this is great, wow, he's got all these stories, this is amazing, and then you spend the rest of the evening <laughs> after the first 15 minutes avoiding him and trying to get away from him and hiding in the toilet in the hope that he won't come in after you mm. and I do feel very much the same way about Quincy Jones I mean so just to start off with I find his boast to be sort of tedious more mm. than anything else but I just you know just reading it was like oh and then I did this and then I did that I do feel that men are given a part in a way that mm. women aren't mm. if a woman had gone on about having all these men everywhere she'd be treated in a very different way yes. I wonder and this is a slightly inflammatory thing to say so I'm going to be very careful how I approach mm. it and I am speaking of this from the perspective of a white middle class woman. But if, I mean, for, for all that I've just slagged GQ and, and, and mm. the Vultures, the other organisation he's done an interview with, um, they are still, I would say, fairly mainstream media and they are still perhaps liberalish sort of media. And I wonder if, particularly given the current events and direction mm. of political travel in America at the moment, one perhaps understands that you know ethnic minorities in america are under a lot of pressure and they shouldn't be and maybe that stops people from asking difficult questions as well i don't know how to sort of a, a kind of a kind of a sort of a, a protectionist thing i'm not sure if that's a thing or not but even so i don't think that should apply i think that you know all people should be that there should you know there should be no holds bars i don't see how that would affect mm. or how that should affect questioning people with rather antiquated attitudes towards women I think and then what I find offensive and you've absolutely nailed it I think it's up to him if he wants 22 girlfriends mm. that's fine and you know presumably the 22 no if they don't then there's probably going to be some awkward phone calls this weekend <laughs> but um but even if they do I like you find it difficult that he just he just dismisses them by place names rather than that almost feels like the kind of American Miss World and Miss America yes. pageants where you know mm. the women walk on and they're Miss Puerto Rico aren't they and and, yes. and, miss, and, and miss this place and miss that and they, they are just they're held up as a representative for that nation but they don't they aren't given their own identity and i do find that offensive i must admit but um aside from that i just i just i'm sure he's achieved some great things he's had some great it's mm. had some great sort of productions and things but i just find it so boring just to read all these stories oh and then miles davis made me these eggs and then frank sinatra gave me his ring and i've worn it for the rest of my life it, it just sounds like a boring person boasting in a pub and i don't know why i think that about him when i don't think that about other people maybe it's this kind of tedious bragging nature to it it's kind of like this slightly sort of david brent-esque type sort of 
tone to it. I just I'm I don't find it terribly terribly interesting. He he keeps he just keeps dropping he just keeps dropping names. Like literally every paragraph has got oh and then I saw this person, then I saw that person. That doesn't strike funnily enough for someone that's that's meant to have achieved a lot it doesn't strike me as very secure really mm. why why are you constantly having to bring other people into your stories when you could just talk about yourself being on your own merits rather than you know yes he's produced things and that's amazing and he you know you could talk about michael jackson from the context of him having produced him but i do find the name dropping to be a bit clangy i must admit there's pecu- the peculiar most peculiar story he keeps in these Two interviews in Vulture and GQ. He keeps bigging up uh, Paul Allen, the Microsoft executive who founded yes. Microsoft with uh, Bill Gates. And in in one um, of of his uh, stories in, involving Paul Allen, he says that he's a better guitarist than both Hendrix and Eric Clapton, mm. which is quite a statement. <laughs> but um, yeah, just finally on on the, uh, the, the 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 women thing, he, he's asked, "Would you go out with anyone your own age?" And again, I'm just going to quote. <laughs> I'm just going to quote him here because I think this is really horrible. Hell no. You can see me with an 84-year-old woman. Are you crazy? I got some technology on my gate that keeps the fat and old away from here. Oh, God. Take 20 Jones, put him in a bin, the end. Yes, exactly. It all feels a bit sort of President's Club and the worst kind of male entitlement. Yes, I think that's what's so offensive about it, really. Paul Simon is retiring from touring. Will we be going to uh, his farewell gigs? Uh, that's next after not Paul Simon, but Elvis Costello. Hmm.
amazing to note that track is now 38 years old. Goodness and me. It, it reached number four in the UK in 1980. Elvis Costello and the Attractions. And I can't stand up for falling down. Um, this week, Paul Simon described his decision to stop touring as a little unsettling, a touch exhilarating and something of a, a relief. He's going to undertake a stretch of farewell gigs starting in May in Vancouver, Canada, and then all across America and Europe, ending up here in England, in London, in fact, with a big show in Hyde Park. Now, here's the thing. Also on the bill for the London dates are James Taylor and Bonnie Raitt. Now, forgive me if I'm being a sort of ageist here, but I rather think that lineup is aimed at my age group. Um, it's one for <laughs> I mean, the... I think it sounds well good, but then I'm not necessarily indicative of my age, I don't think. Um, no, it would certainly appeal to the more mature concert goer. That, that seems to be their kind of key mm. constituency, doesn't it, really? Now, this gig will run from early afternoon until the curfew, which is 10.30pm. There'll be bands on well, all still day. still enjoyably early, though, I think. <laughs> Lots of other bands will be added to the lineup. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that you only turn up to hear Bonnie Raitt, James Taylor and Paul Simon. That'll be somewhere between five to six hours in total. Probably, yeah, the, that seems about right, I reckon. The websites where tickets are already on sale states very firmly, uh, quoting again, this is a fully standing event. Seats and chairs of any kind are not permitted. This includes seat sticks and inflatable seats, end of quote. So, no seating, standing in a field for six hours or more. Am I being an old misery, Jules, because Paul Simon is going to have to bid farewell to the concept of touring without me present to cheer him on? That sounds tedious, doesn't it? Mm. I feel tired just thinking about that, and I'm sitting down already, mm. and even then I feel like I need to sit down in a slightly more ornate way, because it just... It's, it, it's mad. The, I, the fact that you can't bring chairs in as no. well. This does, uh, firstly, from a you know a boring legal killjoy point of view, how is this DDA compliance? Mm. And it's not just and, and being disabled is not just being in a wheelchair. I have a friend who has a sort of chronic fatigue type condition mm. that she sometimes has to walk with a stick. And usually, when we go to gigs, she usually ends up sitting in the sitting section. Mm. And every venue that we've been to have always been extremely accommodating of her, and have always been extremely good. And you know, have found a child sometimes tried to seat her near the front or found a sort of seating position to put her near the front on the basis that they don't think it's fair that people that have to sit should sit at the back all the time, which I think is really nice. And uh, the Dead of War is particularly good at that in Bexford, actually. Mm. They're, re they're really good. And I do wonder how they are accommodating people's needs if you are not even allowed to take your own chair in. And if they say, oh, you are allowed to in exceptional circumstances, how are they going to police that? That doesn't seem very practical at all. And it, I can see why, you know, they don't want it to be, you know, they don't want people to leave rubbish. But it's all very well, you know, if it was Reading Festival where 17-year-olds go, every year there is all kinds of rubbish left, including whole tents mm. and all sorts of things. We talked about this previously. I would be let, I'd be more surprised if your sort of generation did that sort of thing, Terence. Obviously, you are beautifully well mannered. Yeah, not all, no, of, not all of your compatriots <laughs> are the same, but you know, most of them are. And it seems less likely that you know you're all going to start a right and set fire to things. Mm. It just, yeah, I agree. And it just seems it it just seems silly, really. It seems pointless. And it mean-spirited as well. Mm. What's to stop people sitting there? Even if you said, OK, we don't want picnics because people leave rubbish mm. everywhere. OK, fine. 
don't allow food and drink in. I say you can only buy food and drink it that, that they sell presumably at a, at a huge market. Indeed. Um, you, you can By buy the way, that is the rule. I didn't mention that, but you're not allowed to take yeah. any food or drink in I other mean, than water in a tiny bottle. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's annoying. But mm. having said that, it's sort of a sign mm. of the times, mm. really. But I can I can see that as a trade-off if you then let people take blankets in so that they can sit down on them mm. or, you know, or you can or, or take a chair in or something. I can understand banning picnics if, you know, mm. if they think there's going to be a lot of rubbish. But equally, you know, I can't just allow the sitting down element of the picnic. Absolutely. I can't see how it is going to possibly affect people i mean i standing at gigs is difficult anyway i mean they might say oh well if they allow sitting then people will stand up which my view is well get up then to watch the band but what's to stop you from sitting down between bands mm. i mean but bands you know gigs that are all standing still have that problem I, as regular listeners now i'm a big pj harvey fan i've been mm. to see her three times pj harvey is not a tall lady bless her she is about five foot one even in heels she is not very tall at all and I've seen her in standing venues three times at the Dome in Brighton, at the Corn Exchange in Brighton, which is sort of like the the, the ante room to the to the pavilion, and the why did I say Brixton Academy? And the only place that I got a really really good view, the Dome was all right because we were three rows from the front. The Corn Exchange, we had to spend our whole time ducking and weaving because even though we were near the front, it was a flat floor, like totally flat. Mm. The Brixton Academy was the best view that we got of her because it's it's got a graded slope that gradually goes up and so we stood by the sound desk and we were at the top of it it's almost like a sort of a gentle hill it's quite sweet actually i quite like the Britain <laughs> academy uh, it's almost like made of carpet or something it's quite a sweet little sort of sort of slope and you can see i doubt that hyde park is going to be like this so surely if they try and use the argument oh well if people are sitting down and people are standing in front of that impedes their view well your view is likely to be impeded in a standing gig with a flat, flattish floor anyway, really. Why can't they do both? Why can't they have seating, say, along the sides where you're sideways on or something, and then have a kind of standing, boogieing area? Um, well, sort of a know, mosh pit, except not. Yeah, except much, you know, much bigger. Or, yeah. or have areas where you allow people mm. to bring chairs in. Yeah. And so have seat, have areas where you can bring your own seating, and then areas that are designated for sort of standing. I don't see what the issue is. I, I do understand. I do understand that there's a clear dilemma in organising musical events. Uh, you sort of mentioned there's, you know, there are people who wish to stand. Some may wish to, you know, dance about, as I said. And there are those who, like me, really, would prefer, in fact, probably need at 62 years old to sit down for at least part of the time. And I, I feel really sorry for anyone a bit oldish, perhaps older than me, very young people, anybody short in height. And of course, uh, you're <laughs> beginning to sound like Neil Kinnock. I warn you not uh, yes. to get old. Oh, don't be, and, and of course, disabled, really, as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just people who would like to go to this gig, but who w- w- uh, won't be able to because either they won't or can c- just can't stand up for six hours. And you know, I have got um, experience of this because do you remember I went to see Carol King at Hyde Park yes, about I two do. years ago? Yeah, and I do. we got there again. It started about two thirty in the afternoon, and we missed. Um, quite a number of the the sort of um, supporting, supporting acts, bill, yes. Because we knew we you know we wouldn't be able to sit down, so we got there in time for Don Henley, who oh, we yeah. wanted to see. And then there was um, about a half 
an hour between him and then Carol King, and we were forced to sit on the grass. But you're sitting, you're, you know, you've got a tiny little area. It's not like proper seating. Everybody's wedged in together, and it wasn't a comfortable sitting down experience. No. And then standing again for two hours for Carol King. So it seems to me that the target audience for Paul Simon, James Taylor, Bonnie Raitt are being ignored here, and this is this is what really irritates me it's yet another of these events which because a lot of people will be turned off it'll be filled with people who barely know and care less about who's performing and they'll stand with a group of loud friends drinking and bellowing at each other through Mm. the whole thing and I, I really can't see how anyone really over the age of, what, 25, I don't know, would bear to stand for up to eight hours, maybe more, in Hyde Park. I just I just think it's it's just so thoughtless of the organisers. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there's a lot to like in it, really. I think it might be too chilly for you to appear in Hyde Park this week. So where might we find you indoors? Well, yes, I, I tend to be living my life very much indoors at the moment. It very has wise. to be said because I am a worse to use the popular term. Um, I am on the radio this weekend. I will be doing the Saturday social this Great Saturday. Show. Unfortunately, last time I did, I did it, our server crashed halfway through. Okay. But I'm going to start that show again in the hope I can get to the mm. end of it this time. It's a mod special, so I'll be doing it from 6 to 7pm. Northern Soul mod, um, jazz and miscellaneous things. Motown too, I should think. Uh, com, and that's from 6 to 7 this Saturday evening and i'll be back with indie wonderland next wednesday on the same station barricade radio from 8 until 10 p.m thanks to you for listening and thanks to ace executive producer rona Um, yes indeed always very wildly pro rona at all times well now to play us out a band previously unknown to me a british jazz quartet jewels yes indeed wait come back um no i i am um, i went up to manchester as we have talked about previously and i took a bit of a punt on a record in, in the excellent piccadilly records i bought a portico quartet record which i knew already and enjoyed very much and i bought this record on vinyl it was 16 pounds so it was rather extravagant to sort of a punt but hmm. it was marked as being a mercury music prize nominee in 2017 so i thought well, that's my sort of thing hmm. and it was a jazz quartet that all look quite young um they seem to have an electric bass and electric synthesizers uh, the, the the album covers them in a field which is quite good and they're led by a female trumpeter called laura jurd and she is a, a a member of the new generation artist scheme which is run by bbc radio 3 so everything about this made me think oh you know this is my sort of thing and i was so excited to listen to it that and this is where sort of purists will probably blanch at this point i looked it up on itunes on my train home so that i could listen to it without having to go home and and I'm sure this you will be chuckling smugly at your <laughs> continual criticisms of my my expensive and inconvenient vinyl mm. habit. Once again, bearing fruit, but I have not listened to it on <laughs> iTunes since. I've only listened to it on my record, so there. And um, I love it. I think it's great. I can understand why this kind of jazz. When people say, oh, I don't really like jazz, I think this is exactly the sort of thing that they mean when they say that they don't like jazz. And that it is it is modern jazz. And I wouldn't say it was exactly freeform. I like the fact that it, it is freeform for a bit and then it fought, this particular track falls back into a kind of a pattern. I think they're really exciting and really interesting. And actually, on the advice of my friend, I went back and watched the Mercury Music Prize 2017 ceremony and they were the best thing about it, really. They, mm. If the Mercury Music Prize 
was still as relevant and as interesting as it once was. This is the sort of thing that could have won, I think, in the late 90s. Certainly something like Talvin Singh, if that won, this would have possibly have won in that era, I think. I would have liked it to have done, rather than just been the token jazz nominee, because I do think it's great. Um, The album is... um, Together as One, I think is called, and uh, the band is Dinosaur, and this from that is called Living Breathing.
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.